You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Tuesday night, October 26th, year of our Lord, 2021, jam-packed, high atop downtown Nashville, Tennessee. But, got to be honest with you, woke up a little bit nervous slash concerned even this morning. And the concern was because, oh no, we got a show tonight. That's not a bad thing in and of itself. We love having shows. That's why we do them three nights a week instead of just one night a week. The concern, friends, lied in the fact that my, and I want to stress my, Atlanta Braves opened game one of the World Series tonight. And the two entities were going to start at the same time. But then somebody whispered in my ear, hey, idiot, it's your show and it's on YouTube. So you can do whatever you want to. So I texted Director Colin. I said, Colin, is this true? He said, "Uh, yeah, it's true. I was the one whispering, by the way. And so here we are 30 minutes early. Why are we starting 30 minutes early? Well, because we can. And because a large chunk of this viewer base also happens to reside in a geographical area that roots for the Atlanta Braves. And as far as you're concerned, that geographical area should be the world. There's nobody I got. Who's got time for the Houston Astros? I don't. So tonight, we have got week nine predictions. We are going to be in East Lansing, Michigan Saturday. So we're going to pick Michigan, Michigan State tonight. We're going to pick Georgia, Florida tonight. Some interesting angles to take there. Ole Miss, Auburn, could that actually be the best game in the SEC, for all we know, could it be the best game in the country? Saturday, a lot of intrigue. A lot of intrigue and mystery even surrounding a lot of these games. Also, we're going to have a new JP poll tonight. As you would imagine, as the upsets continue to happen, as the narrow victories continue to happen, there is movement. There's even movement in the top 10 this week. All that, and I am throwing two more added best bet logs on the Ramen Noodle Express fire at Late Kick Josh. Twitter and Instagram, can't stress it enough. It's where you need to be. A ton of content that you don't get on the show or even on the podcast you can find there. What a situation, by the way, as we dive into the show tonight, what a situation we have setting up Saturday. So I was talking to some officials at Michigan State today. And as you know, we're going to be in town, but we're not a massive operation like maybe the Fox pregame show is or like college game day is. And both of those are going to be on campus there at Michigan State same time this Saturday. I know it's happened before. I've never been on a location, to my knowledge at least, where both were there. But I was talking to the folks at Michigan State today. Not only are they both there, but remember, this is a noon kickoff. And so the ending, well, it's a noon Eastern time kickoff, 11 a.m. Central. But the ending of those pregame shows runs right up to the kickoff of those games. And so as you've seen before, sometimes with those pregame shows, they will have the, the last hour inside the stadium that the game's taking place in. Well, that's happening Saturday, not just with the Fox show but also with the ESPN show. The only time that you really see that is maybe pregame for a national championship game or at the Super Bowl because you've got NFL Network and then you got, obviously, the broadcast team for the network that's carrying the game. Nope, we're going to have it right here in Week 9 in East Lansing, Michigan. So we are trying to set up our pregame live shots is what I was talking to him about. And so we're trying to kind of hem haw our way around this set over here, that set over there. We'll figure it out. The folks at Michigan State have been very workable on this. So... Let's dive into tonight's show. I want to start in Jacksonville, though. That's where Florida and Georgia are playing. This game, I rarely miss. I mean, I rarely miss this. When I wasn't there last year, for obvious reasons, because it wasn't worth going on the road because we couldn't really do anything. 
But before that, I've been at this game the last several years. So we're going to break that streak. Georgia, a 14-point favorite at Caesars right now. It's the Saturday 3.30 game Eastern time on CBS. Let me ask you a question. You know what the perception is right now. Everybody who's watched Georgia, everybody who's watched Florida, especially as of late, you know what the perception is. So as we watch this game, this game of college football that we all love more and more, how many times have you seen perception just get thrown into a blender? I mean, it's, it's so rarely that easy to figure out. And so I know a lot of people are looking at this game and you're saying, well, based on what LSU did on the ground, Georgia should easily run for 250, right? And also Florida, based on what we've seen this year and what we've seen from Georgia defensively, Florida should not be able to sustain enough drives and enough offense to be able to hang in this game, right? And so we say all that, and that equals 30 to 10 in the fourth quarter. And I just ask you to open this show and to open this preview. Is it going to be that easy? Sometimes it works out that way. The better teams, you know, the Alabamas of the world, over the last several years, Alabama's gone into a lot of games where you thought it was predictable, and it ended up playing out exactly how you would have predicted. But there's also sometimes some volatility in these games. Now, I know that if you were looking at Florida right now, and you're trying to find a reason why perception will not be reality Saturday, there's this anecdotal argument that I think you could make, okay? And I don't know that you should feel that bad about saying what I'm about to say. If I were trying to put together a case where Florida wins this game, or at least they're right there in the fourth quarter, I would say, you know, last year, who did Florida play their worst game against? The answer would be LSU, just like this year. And then I would ask, who did Florida play their best game against? And my answer would be Alabama. Even though they lost the game, they played the eventual national champ, one of the best teams I've ever seen, to within one score in the SEC title game. And then the third question I would ask is, did the Bama game come before or after that LSU game? And the answer is, Florida's best game came after their worst game. Stands to reason, if we're to make of that something related to this year, that maybe we just saw Florida play their worst game against LSU, maybe their best game is yet to come. There is no data behind that. That is purely circumstantial. It's purely just trying to wish it into existence. Otherwise, you could very well be looking at 30 to 10 in the fourth quarter. So grabbing points early, I think, will be so huge for Florida here. Everything about Georgia, everything you've seen from them this year, starting with the Clemson game and running right up to present day, it's all been predicated on something. And it's not just winning, it's how they've been winning. It's predicated on controlling the game the entire time. They haven't had JT Daniels, why hasn't it mattered? Because no one has forced them to come from behind. It's just not a spot Georgia's been put in. That's not by accident. It's because they're really good. It's because they're the best team in the country. We got JP poll later tonight. Little spoiler alert, that team in red and black still number one. So it's not coincidence that they've grabbed these leads, but it's also not impossible that you could maybe flip the script on them. If Florida's got a shot in this game, certainly they have to grab points early. Number one, they need to do it for the obvious reason, to put Georgia in unfamiliar territory. I'm also halfway a believer they need to do it to convince themselves they got a shot here. Because I think one of the big hidden questions, well, it's not hidden, it's right out in front of the open. One of the big questions here is what kind of Florida team is even showing up? Where is that locker room mentally? There's been a lot of, it's been a lot of kind of yapping back and forth down there, but not between the two teams. It's kind of been between the coaching staff and the players about what happened in the LSU game. It's kind of weird. You don't normally see that so public and so front-facing. So I don't know where Florida is, but I, I'm telling you, you can forget all that 
if you lead Georgia 10 to nothing. That sounds so crazy to even say because we haven't really seen it this year. But everything about Georgia has been predicated so far on playing with the lead. Now, the other thing that Florida's got to have, and I know this sounds very steep, but this is just the reality of what you're going to need in order to try and pull off an upset, is you've got to not only have Anthony Richardson taking a vast majority of the snaps, and I believe that will happen, quarterback there for Florida, but I also believe, this is where it gets steep, he's got to play relatively mistake-free football against the best defense in the country with very limited experience. So could it happen? Sure, crazier things have happened. Is that something that you want to bank on happening? Uh, I don't necessarily want to do that. But like I said, crazier things have happened. Now, what I envision, if Florida grabs an early lead, if Florida's offense is rolling a little bit more than maybe anticipated, if you start applying the old metaphorical water pressure against the Georgia Dam and maybe, oh, look, there are a couple of cracks that we didn't know existed. It's probably going to come via the RPO game and the added strain that mobility at quarterback and the kind of athlete at quarterback that Richardson uh, gives Florida can do to you. And then the other thing, I, I think it seems like common sense, but you got to go right back to the well, don't you? Last year, it was a nightmare for Georgia defensively trying to cover running backs in the passing game. Well, I mean, I'm sure they've worked on it, but my goodness, don't you have to find out how much they've worked on it? So if Florida grabs an early lead, that's probably the way it looks. Regardless, though, now switching to Georgia, one of the big talking points coming in here for both teams is which quarterbacks are going to play, how many snaps are each quarterback going to play. I don't really care particularly who starts at quarterback for Georgia, and I don't particularly care how the snaps are divvied up. I will tell you my main question, regardless of who's taking the snaps for Georgia, is how much will be asked of the quarterback position in this game? Because I'll tell you two things. We're talking about teams finding out something early. Two teams or two things that Kirby Smart and Todd Munkin are going to want to find out and will find out really early. Number one, does uh, Florida have the chest, if you will, to stand in there and stop the run or just limit it, not stop the run, but limit it. And secondly, Florida is a very, very poor tackling team in space. I was reading some of Jake Rose stuff today over on Dogs 24-7. He's right about this. Florida, not the best team in preventing yards after catch. And so I want you to picture something for me. Picture you're watching this game, and Georgia is averaging over six yards per carry, getting up into that LSU running territory against Florida. Well, if they're doing that, all the rest of this stuff's irrelevant. We could make this preview video 30 seconds long. And slash or if Georgia is completing essentially glorified runs, just extensions of the run game, these short screens and slants and whatnot, and then they're ripping off chunks after the catch, then it's also irrelevant. I know people picture in their mind, whichever quarterback we put in there, you know, he's going to have to make some threaded needle throws over the middle, going to have to hit that 25 yard out from the far hash. No, in all likelihood, they're not going to have to if those things are trending in the right direction for Georgia. To me, to go back to a point I just made before we look at what the model thinks on this game, to be clear, the biggest unknown, you know, the, the biggest thing that's sort of like that distant sound, that canary in the coal mine that I have no clue what to expect from is the different kind of pressure that we know a Dan Mullen offense can put on a defense. And then if any leaks are exposed, what are they? Translation, even if Georgia may win the game, maybe it's just closer than you think it is, do we come out of this game Saturday from Jacksonville and saying either, wow, Florida pulled the outright upset, in which case the headlines take care of themselves, or wow, Georgia won 30-24, to 24, 
But boy, did you see this, this, and this? I didn't expect that. That Georgia defense in this spot and that spot, that's something to keep tucked away down the road if they play Alabama or if they're in the playoff against fill in the blank. That's the biggest unknown. And like I said, the other unknown is what kind of Florida team do we even get show up? Uh, let's take a look at what the model thinks here. You're looking at the rivalry history there. Chunks, three, three, three. Well, Florida, hey, they got a streak. Eh, it's not a streak until you win multiple, so they don't quite have a streak yet. But let's take a look at what the model thinks. So the Las Vegas number right now is Georgia minus 14. My feel is that that's going to go north of 14. So if you want to bet Georgia, I'd probably do it right now. Our model is a little bit north of 14. It's got Georgia minus 15 and a half. Now, here's what I came back to. What I came back to is I love Georgia to win the game. Because I'm more confident in Georgia to win the game, I actually think the style of play they're going to be able to incorporate is one that shaves down a lot of possession time, shaves down a lot of game time in general, and ends up playing out in a manner where they are running the ball effectively enough, where they don't have to stretch the field a whole lot and take a whole lot of chances in the passing game. And as a result, we look at a final score that appears to be close when you apply traditional standards of football, but in reality is not nearly as close as the final score indicates. So at that two touchdown mark, I am actually slightly leaned over towards taking Florida and the points. However, I feel supremely confident in taking Georgia to win the game. And what I'm telling you is I'm not taking Florida plus the points and also thinking in the back of my mind, well, you know, I might as well put a little on the money line. That's not where my head's at on that one. So I like Georgia to win, slightly lean Florida to cover, and I'm very interested, regardless of the outcome, to see if we're saying anything different about Georgia on the other side than we are right now. Going to be a great scene down in Jacksonville. First time you've got all the fan bases down there in a couple of years. I'm going to be at Michigan State. Stands to reason. We're going to have uh, a great to unprecedented scene up there, given all the, here's the word, word, confluence. It's our word of the year. The confluence of all the different elements coming into place. And regardless of where you are, if you're hitting that tailgate scene, Academy Sports and Outdoors is where you need to be. I have been speaking to some of you as recently as this afternoon that were talking to me up north. You know, there I, I can't actually vouch for this because I didn't look at the map. There may indeed be a few less Academy Sports and Outdoors brick and mortar locations the further north you get. But you guys were hitting me up saying, well, thank the good Lord for academy.com. That's really irrelevant at this point. And that is true. Academy.com comes through for you every bit as much as Academy Sports and Outdoors in person comes through. You get to experience the friendly staff, for instance, if you go indoors. But Academy Sports and Outdoors, either way, you need the grills, you need the canopies, you need long sleeves in lieu of short sleeves. I don't know why anyone would choose to live that way. God intended your arms to be free and clear, but 38 degrees can paint a different picture for the wardrobe selection. Academy Sports and Outdoors is what you want to hit up. They've got everything you could possibly need and dare I say a little bit extra. So hit them up, academy.com, official outdoor sporting goods supplier of the Big 12, of the SEC, and of Late Kick. Thank you so much. That partnership has meant the world to us. Well, speak of the, uh, speak of the unprecedented confluence of events this Saturday. How about Michigan at Michigan State? Both undefeated. Michigan laying about, what, four and a half points at the moment as we record the Late Kick Renaissance Tour is headed up. It's going to be great. It's going to be Big Ten weather. There was no way that this was going to be anything other than mid to upper 40s and gray, dreary, because that is Big Ten weather around Halloween and any point later in the season. Hey, I want to remind you of something. 
It's called the recalibration of expectation. And it's not a vanilla ice song. What it is, is this epidemic that a lot of people suffer from around this point in the year. And here's what I mean when it comes to these two teams. When it came to August, and we were looking at preseason win totals, Michigan's over-under win total was eight. Michigan State's over-under win total was four. Both of them are 7-0 and right now. Why do I mention that? Well, I want to remind you now how the recalibration of expectation works. Once you get to a certain point in the season, people forget what the preseason expectation was, and they start defining and then redefining their new expectation of you based off the current results. And it's happening right now. It's happening with Michigan. It's happening with Michigan State. I'm not a fan of it because it leads to these out-of-whack reactions based on results without any context taken into account. Here's what you should be thinking. What you should be thinking is, well, regardless of who wins Saturday, both of these teams have mildly to massively overachieved this year. That's what I'll think. Uh, but what's going to happen is someone's going to have to lose, even if you play quote-unquote nine overtimes. Someone's going to have to lose here. And because the expectation level has now been recalibrated and enough people are talking Big Ten title possibility or fringe playoff contender, once you lose a game and maybe one of these teams loses two or three games, all of a sudden you're going to have heat, you're going to have criticism, and you're going to have people complaining that they fell short of the mark. No, they didn't. Either of these teams finishes nine and three, they have exceeded all possible expectation. Michigan State already has by three games, and we're not even to, no one's even carved a pumpkin yet. And Michigan State has already hit the over by three games. It's a huge testament to both coaching staffs, especially Michigan State, but both coaching staffs. So now let's get into the game. Classic earn the right to rush the passer sort of game for Michigan State. One of my Favorite adages, you may have the best pass rush in the world, but if they're consistently sitting on second and four and third and one against you, you don't really get to feature the pass rush, which means Michigan State defensively needs to win some first downs here. And it would not be the craziest thing in the world. We have seen some defenses have relative success against Michigan. Michigan still found a way to win, but it hasn't always been the way we saw them win the first couple of weeks, which was just run for half a mile and don't even worry about throwing the ball. Well, they've had to do it a couple times. They've been successful. But the best shot Michigan State has here is to, instead of looking at second and four, be looking at a second and eight. Be looking at a third and six. I'll tell you what I'll count in this game. Sometimes I have some favorite stats that I like to look at. In this particular game, I think the amount of third and six pluses that Michigan finds themselves in offensively will directly correlate to the way that the outcome looks on the scoreboard here. But also, I mean, this is obvious, you get them into more obvious passing downs in late down situations. You give yourself the ability to feature a staple, which is your pass rush. That means you get to affect the quarterback, which means you get to potentially force more mistakes. Of course, you could get turnovers out of that, but also Michigan far less likely to convert there, and that keeps them from tilting critical factors in the game. Because what you don't want, because you as Michigan State, tend to be a more quick strike offense, which is a lot of risk reward, but it also, the risk therein lies, it, you could be sitting there with 45 to 24 plays run at the half. You don't want that because that puts Michigan in perfect situations, just quicksand you to death in the second half. So that's the first thing to watch. Second thing, we have an acronym around here. Uh, the first thing you want to do is PYC, which is pull your cord up. Uh, there's a U on the end of that, so nothing pull out of your ear. The second thing is B-O-B. -B. 
and that is bounce of ball. This is a bounce of ball game. It is a small margin for error game, and it's one of those games of inches sort of, sort of adages that gets thrown around a lot and overused, but it's not overused in this game. I want to know if anything changed for Michigan State over the bye week because as undefeated as they may be right now, they have struggled with penalties, and they have not been the best third-down team in the world. Now, the best staffs out there, and I think Mel Tucker's got one, the best staffs out there tend to clean that sort of thing up coming out of the bye. You should be, at this point in the year, you should give me the best version of yourself coming out of the bye. And you may look and you may have said, oh, I already expected multiple losses on Michigan State's resume. Well, hey, this is a positive recalibration of expectation. They're undefeated. But I do not believe they've played their best football yet. I don't think they believe they've played their best football yet. They still have their best game out there. Now, I'd counter that by saying Michigan staff and University of Michigan fans probably believe the exact same thing about their squad. Someone's going to come out of this still undefeated. Have they played their best game in the process? We'll see. But it's all about, to go back to what I just talked about, it's all about quicksand versus quick strike. Because there are two somewhat differing styles of play here. You may think from a distance, both of these offenses probably just plod along and it's boring, ugly Big Ten football, which probably means you haven't watched much of these two teams play this year. They're not all that similar in offensive style. I know they reside in the same state, but that's probably the most broad brush you could ever paint with. The quicksand approach is Michigan being happy to just sit there and lean on you. No one folds in the first quarter. No one does. A lot of folks fold in the fourth quarter. And so, like we just said, if Michigan's able to start converting, if it's not third and six, if it's third and two a whole bunch in the first half, and they start converting, and those critical factors, not so much time of possession, but what time of possession includes, which is a lot more plays run. If that stuff starts tilting and your pass rush is kind of neutered, then it shows up in the fourth quarter. Michigan's happy to do that. They are not, they're not a viper, you know, more like an anaconda. So I call it quicksand. But you've also got quick strike because that is the way Michigan State wins this game. They've got the more likely defense to force sudden changes, popcorn droppers as I call them. Their defensive front, the pass rush ability specifically, is more likely to provide a popcorn dropper their running back, Kenneth Walker, is more likely to produce a popcorn dropper run. And you've got elements at wide receiver and in the passing game with Thorne, more likely to produce that sudden popcorn dropper type of play through the air. Which style wins out? Great question. Let's take a look at what the model thinks here. The Vegas number currently, Michigan minus four and a half. And that is in East Lansing. So you've got home field factored in. So odds makers are telling you, we like Michigan by about six to seven points as better than Michigan State on a neutral field. Well, we've got Michigan minus five. That's what the model thinks. What I came back to is I came back to how tight I think this game will end up playing out. So I think there'll be some shots taken by Michigan State early. I think there'll be some body blows definitely struck by Michigan. I think it's going to be really tight in the fourth quarter. The reason why I'm going the way I did is because I do not believe even our model is accurately factoring at least numerically, what home field advantage is worth here. Because I think home field advantage is going to matter. We've seen it in big games all year. Home field has disproportionately mattered this year. And so I'm taking probably the most cowardly approach that anyone could take. I'm going to take Michigan to win the game. There is no prayer I would lay four and a half. I think it's that close a game. So if I am betting, which I'm not on this one, it is not an official play by any stretch, I would go Michigan State plus four and a half. Would lean Michigan to win. 
and acknowledge all the while it is a bob game. It is a bounce of ball game. One of them, this way versus that way, changes the outcome here. But what I do love is that we get to be there. That's what I do love. Very much looking forward to that one. In the fast-paced world of attacking, speed is everything. And that's where the Furon 7 Plus shines. Engineered for accuracy and precision at a rapid pace, it's your secret weapon on the pitch. Experience overall comfort and precise striking, even in the game's fastest moments. The nylon outsole, with its V-shaped stud configuration, is designed for firm ground, giving you the grip you need to outmaneuver your opponents. Step up your attacking game and learn more and purchase the Furon at NewBalance.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, another game that I want to touch on. Uh, this one, a bunch of different angles I can go. So I'm going to be uh, very tactful about this one. Ole Miss at Auburn. This is a night game at Jordan-Hare Stadium. Auburn currently favored by three. So all the way up to a field goal. Remember the other night on Sunday when we made Auburn our early best bet and we got him at a pick. There's a reason we moved on that game early because we thought that this would move pretty quickly to right where it is right now, which is Auburn minus three. Now, if you want to bet Ole Miss, I'd do it right now, because if anything, that's probably coming back down a little bit closer to kickoff. Then there were some rumors about suspensions, and a lot of you were asking me, hey, what do you think about the suspension rumors for Auburn? Well, the fact that I never came off that bet publicly probably tells you all you need to know about what I thought about the rumors. Now, I don't want to talk about rumors. Rumors is a great album by Fleetwood Mac, and if you want to talk to me about that off-air, I will talk to you about it off-air. But rumors around the program, not interested in talking about it. This could be the best game in the SEC Saturday. I mean, Ole Miss versus Auburn could very well be the best game in the SEC Saturday, but there's the D word out there, distraction. Everyone's worried about distraction. little word to the wise. I would be very careful. If you're banking on Ole Miss winning this game, banking on them winning it because you think distractions are going to affect the outcome. And they're going to take the knees out from under Auburn this week. Let me tell you what I've watched that program do already this year. I've watched them lose to Penn State and then almost lose to Georgia State and fire a receivers coach and bench a quarterback. And after doing all that and having all kind of turmoil, seemingly engulf the program, go play their best football of the year, on the road, no less. I've already seen them do that. And so I know right now, you're looking maybe from the outside, and you're seeing all this talk about Brian Harsh and this, and he hadn't told us that. And I'm just warning you, you may view it as a distraction. You may even be distracted by it. I'd be careful assuming that inside that Auburn locker room, they care about the same stuff and are focused on the same things that you're focused on. Be careful there, because there is an intangible factor in play that I think will have a direct outcome or direct impact on the outcome of this game, but it ain't distraction. Here's what it is. Last four weeks, the Ole Miss Rebels have played in order at Alabama, Arkansas, at Tennessee, LSU. You know what Auburn did last week? They sat at home. They're rested. Huge dynamic edge here, aside from home field. Huge dynamic edge for Auburn. Going to be a lot of focus about the quarterback position. Going to be a lot of focus on Matt Corral, as there should be. A lot of focus on Bo Nix, as there should be. I'm watching the Auburn ground game. I'm not even focused on quarterbacks as the element that will ultimately decide the game. 
you can have the same approach as Tennessee here, really, if you're Auburn. The only difference is you just got to tear off more yards per carry. I mean, Tennessee, I thought, had a sound enough approach against Ole Miss, but they did not run the ball consistently enough. And that's credit to Ole Miss for not allowing them to do it. But that plus extensions of the run, it's kind of the same thing we talked about in the Georgia-Florida game. If you can run the ball pretty effectively, I don't need seven yards per carry from Auburn, but if you can float in that five and a half to six, that along with what Bo Nix can do with his legs in conjunction with being able to extend the ground game via some short passes and screens in your own right, that will be enough. That'll be enough if you play this game in the manner with which you need to play it, dictating terms on your end. I'm not really focused, as I sometimes am, on a point total that's needed. See, sometimes we're looking at these games, like last week, the clemson Pitt game. It was very popular, and I took part as well. It was very popular to ask, how many points do you think Clemson will need to win this game? I'm not there on this game. There is not a point total I'm thinking about. What I'm thinking about is the same stat that I was thinking about when Ole Miss played Alabama. Because you see, Ole Miss has won a game in the 50s this year. They've won a couple of games in the upper 20s, low 30s. But they lost decidedly. The only loss they had this year was against Alabama. It wasn't because of the just total amount of points Alabama scored. There wasn't like a certain line they had to get to. It's because Alabama won third and fourth down defensively. That's the key here. So if you want to look at a statistic, it'll be Ole Miss offensively, third down, fourth down conversion rate. They were woeful against Alabama, and they've been good enough in these other games. So Auburn could win this game in the 40s. Auburn could win this game in the upper 20s. I could actually see both of those playing out. Obviously, the latter is more likely than the former. But this is going to sound weird. I'm going to get to the prediction here, and we're going to take a look at what the model thinks. It's going to sound kind of weird given what I think about Ole Miss. I know that these two ideas haven't jibed which I still think should be pronounced jived. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a misspelling I've done my whole life that I've discovered like two weeks ago, and I still have not come to terms with it. But these two concepts, they're not really meshing. You look at the JP poll, which I'm about to show you in a few minutes, and you see that we've had Ole Miss consistently ranked higher than the AP has. But yet in this game, I'm about to pick Auburn to win, and I'm about to pick Auburn to cover, spoiler alert, because I don't like the dynamic. If they were meeting, let's say in Birmingham, and it's a 50-50 crowd split, and both teams are coming off the bye, I'm picking Ole Miss. But I do not like the dynamics in play here, and because of that, Auburn is one of our favorite bets of the week. So let's take a look at what the model thinks, and let's take a look at what Vegas has right now. We've already showed you they're on the lower third, but if you're listening on podcast, Auburn minus three is the current number. As we are live on Tuesday night, that could always change. The model has Auburn stretched up all the way as a five-point favorite. That's our own in-house model, for those unfamiliar and I'm going to roll with it. I see no reason to buck the model. So we're going to go Auburn to win. We're going to go Auburn to cover. If they do, then Auburn starts to put themselves in position, maybe for some interesting conversations down the stretch. However, if we're wrong and Ole Miss pulls what would be a very mild upset, Ole Miss is already in a conversation. It just makes the conversation more interesting because as of today, if Bama loses one more game in conference and Ole Miss doesn't, Ole Miss goes to Atlanta. And if they win Saturday, obviously we keep that alive. And you know for Alabama, if you can go in there as Ole Miss and win, then you also know if I take care of business, Bama's got to come in here too at the end of the year and win. So a lot of things, a lot of very interesting dynamics that extend just beyond Saturday night that will take place as a result of the game on the field Saturday night. All right, the way we are going to wrap it up is with the latest edition of the JP poll. 
The JP poll, for those unfamiliar, is not a ranking system, just a power rating system. Uh, Oklahoma is going to be a hot button issue in this poll because I am looking where we have them. Yeah, a little bit lower than the AP, but just to give you an idea, if some teams are higher than you think they should be and some teams are lower than you think they should be, it's not about what their record is. I've got Nebraska in the top 25 this week. They are below 500. I got Nebraska above some undefeated teams. All that matters is who we would favor against who on a neutral field based on this model we mentioned so much, has been so good to us over the years, if they play tomorrow. That's all we're caring about here. So having said that, we do have some movement. So let's hop into it and let's take a look at 25 through 21. I mentioned Nebraska. Nebraska, it's been pretty consistent. They're floating right around anywhere from 22 to 28. That's where they've been pretty much all year for us. You may wonder, how can a team below 500 be there? Well, you're looking at them and you're seeing their record. This model looks and it sees a bunch of very, very close losses. The model does not acknowledge the data point zero. The data point of zero, like for instance, in the world of temperatures, if it's minus one or if it's plus one, that's the, all the difference in the world because it's below zero or above zero. Uh, in, in the world of liquid, the difference between 31 and 33 makes all the difference in the world. You could have it 33 all day. It's not going to freeze water. 31, it's going to freeze water. In this model's world, it does not care about the point of zero. If I beat you 33 to 31, I'm 1 and 0, you're 0 and 1. All the model sees is just two points difference. That's all it sees. So Nebraska's lost a bunch of close games, so they get punished in their record. In this kind of future predictive modeling, it doesn't really matter whether they won the games or lost the games. It only matters just a little bit. So that's why Nebraska's still there. NC State's down a couple of spots at 24. Uh, Texas is still here. You got to understand something about these underachieving but really talented teams. When it comes to odds making, that stuff matters. It matters how talented your roster is when it comes to point spreads. So it's harder to knock the Clemsons or the Texases or the Floridas out of the top 25. Having said that, Clemson is out of the top 25. Uh, what do we have? We got Oklahoma State up four spots to number 21. You notice that, do you? Oklahoma State was barely rated for us. They lost a game, but because they lost to our, I'm going to spoil it for you, our number eight team in their building, and they lost by only three, that's good to bump you up in power rating land. So Oklahoma State's at number 21. All right, let's go top 20 here. Arkansas's at 20. Uh, they're down three spots. That's largely because there was movement around them. Uh, Kentucky's still at 19. Baylor has jumped a couple of spots to 18. And Arizona State, Michigan State have dropped a couple of spots. Again, it's not because of anything they did. Michigan State was off last week. It's because we had some movement elsewhere. And there are very small margins. In this part of the power rating, you've got like four or five points that are separating number eight through number 20. So it's very, very small margins. That's why you see some movement like that. Top 15 is as follows. Number 15, the Iowa Hawkeyes, probably the biggest victim last week, even though it was through no fault of their own. We just had some teams improve their own grade and they jumped Iowa. Iowa's down five spots. They're number 15. Oregon really respected the result there at UCLA. Oregon, according to the model, up four spots. Notre Dame's up a few spots to number 13. Notre Dame's probably got a second half run in him here. Uh, Pitt's down one to 12, even though they beat Clemson. Again, it's not punishing Pitt. There are teams that moved ahead of them. Penn State is number 11. Uh, Penn State, we got a hard time with them right now. We dropped them five spots. The model is screaming that it thinks with a fully healthy Sean Clifford, Penn State is still a top 10 team. The problem is 
how do you measure how healthy a quarterback was last week? I don't know. I don't think Sean Clifford was 100%. But then we're starting to inject a whole lot of opinion and, and gut into this thing. And that's not really what we want. So we got Penn State at 11. Now take a look at number 10. Number 10, a team that was left for dead, by me included, Texas A&M is all the way back inside the top 10. What the model is seeing is just the same thing I told you. Supremely talented roster, but now quarterback is starting to come through for them. There are three consecutive results now. The Alabama game, the Missouri game, and the South Carolina game where they either met or exceeded model expectations. And so it acknowledges that. It's bumping them up. It's really the kind of the crux of the way it works. Auburn is number nine. They're up three spots. As a two-loss team, uh, they were off last week, so obviously a result of movement around them. Iowa State, still a top 10 team, sitting at number eight. Uh, number seven is Oklahoma. Now let's talk about this for a second. Oklahoma, they are kind of the inverse of Nebraska. Oklahoma has won a bunch of close games. Nebraska has lost a bunch of close games. We've got Oklahoma ranked down at seven. I think the AP has them much higher. Uh, we got them at seven. This is the first time that the model has started to punish them a little bit more after they rocketed back up to number three. And it's because we're starting to look at teams like Cincy, which is number six, by the way. And this is the first time that the model would actually slightly favor Cincy on a neutral field against Oklahoma. Again, I think Oklahoma's best football is ahead of them. And I do think there's going to come a time where maybe they move back up into the top five. But it's not the present team. And we cannot keep in week eight, nine, and 10 just expecting that uh, a switch is about to be flipped. That's the kind of stuff that maybe you said about Clemson after week one. Oh, they'll get their act together. Well, they never did, uh, but it was reasonable to at least think that. So that's why Oklahoma's down. Uh, top five is got some movement. Michigan's at number five. Now, I got to tell you, I'd be hard-pressed to be picking Michigan over Oklahoma on a neutral tomorrow. I'd be hard-pressed to do that. But I do understand the model's reasoning, so I'm not going to argue with it really, really strongly. Ole Miss is our biggest differentiator. It has been. They have been for quite a while. we got Ole Miss at number four. Hate the dynamic for them this week. I think they're going to lose this week. I, I got news for you. If they go into Auburn and they lose by one possession, they probably won't even drop because that's exactly what our model expects them to do. And so the same model that's got them at four expects them to lose by five. So if that were to happen, their grade by default, would remain unchanged. Ohio State is three. Bama is two. Georgia is one. I will tell you the gap uh, that didn't really exist to begin with between Ohio State and Alabama, it's razor thin. It's less than a point. Uh, there is, I think, two points now. It's like right at two points that separate Georgia and Alabama. So we have got a really tight one through three. There is a sizable drop-off between three and four. And then it's pretty much jumbled, which is fun. It's fun to look at. The question becomes, is there going to be a bridge built? And how many, how many bridges can be built between these teams that are outside of that top three and the top three? Or are those top three just going to pull away? And also should be noted that even though there is some separation with one, two, three versus the rest of the pack, it's not the kind of separation we've seen in recent years. In other words, if I had 2020 Alabama in this year, there would be a gap between 2020 Alabama and number one Georgia there would be a gap between 2019 LSU and number one Georgia. So just cause I'm telling you there's a big gap between these top teams and then the second tier, it doesn't make that top tier invincible. That's not the year we're in. If you think we've gone through all this chaos to just have a completely tranquil November, I think you're kidding yourself.
that's all I have to say about that. It is right at time for first pitch. Uh, Jesse bet the over at 35 minutes for the show tonight. I think it barely hit, so congratulations to producer Jesse. Uh, for Director Colin, for Jesse, our entire crew in Connecticut, I'm Josh Pate. Go Braves. Thanks for watching. Make sure you're subscribed to the channel. Have a great rest of your evening, and God bless.